We're going to jump into the book of Habakkuk. When's the last time you looked up Habakkuk? Just last week, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'll give you a little bit of time to find that. Uh, it's conveniently located between Genesis and Revelation. You just have to dig it up. <laughs> Only three chapters, but... Um, I, I have to keep things kind of simple, so uh, just my outline, I, I, for my title, I put www.habakkuk. And I'm gonna give you my three points right up the bat in case I get chased in a rabbit and we get lost in the briars somewhere. But uh, Habakkuk spends time wondering what God is doing and he's waiting on what going, he's going to do and he worships him finally. So that's, that's the three broad ideas that we're going to uh, cover that have to do with the faith. Uh, Brother Aaron read that a moment ago. Apostle Paul quoted Habakkuk there in Romans and in Galatians, the same text. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, Habakkuk is a little different from some of the other prophets. Uh, he's not taking a, a direct, thus saith the Lord formula like uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah, but rather he brings a complaint or a lament about his people before the Lord. And uh, let, me, let me give just a little bit of historical uh, context to what's going on. We're, we're in, if we get into Habakkuk, we are in the latter quarter of the 7th century B.C., about 625 to 600, something like that. Uh, we have, uh, in this time frame, we have the reign and the death of Josiah, uh, I think great-grandson of Hezekiah, one of the last good kings of Judah. And uh, there's a, uh, you know, the, the Babylonian Empire is raising its head at this point. The Assyrians are on the way out. The Babylonians are on the way up and they're exercising their political and military muscle and they are gathering nations and peoples as they begin the process of declaring the fact that they are the alpha dog at this point. Um, what has happened under Josiah, if you remember, they discovered as they were cleaning and, and repairing the temple, they discovered the book of the law that had been missing or hidden away, and they brought that to the king, and he read that, and he decided, uh-oh, we've been messing up. And so he established a whole series of religious reforms. What had taken place under the previous two administrations was a a mix of religions that had been coming into Judah. Rather than God's people worshiping solely Yahweh, they had brought in some Baal, they had brought in some Ashtaroth, they were not, a, they're not against a little bit of Marduk and Dagon, they were trying to pull some of all of those in, primarily because those pagan religions were extremely sensual and enticing. And we're humans, and we just fall for that, and Satan knows that. And so it was before the people, and so they had even brought in um, some of the male shrine prostitutes and built special rooms for them in the temple. 
And so Josiah comes in and he starts knocking walls out. He starts cleaning stuff out and purging. And he establishes a whole series of reforms. And in the process of all this going on, the king of Egypt, Necho, Pharaoh Necho, decides he's going to engage and some battles with some of the Babylonians. And so he marches out and then Josiah comes out and ultimately Josiah is killed in the Battle of Carchemish about 609. Um, that's a long time back. That's even before Brother Joe and Brother JB were around. That's a long time back. So, um, But what has taken place with all these reforms that were going on with Josiah gone so were the reforms. As long as Josiah was alive and leading and standing out and, and, and directing, people said, yeah, we're, we're for it, we're for it, we're for it. But as soon as he's taken out, they slide right, right back into what they were doing. And so in this, in this context then, well, with, the, with the rise of uh, the Babylonians and with the demise of a reforming leader and an administration that was trying to pull uh, God's people back into this covenant relationship, we have things that are just crumbling. And so what we see is now the covenant relationship is broken and we have a, a, a rampant social decay. Self and sensuality is the rule of the day. And so Habakkuk, as the wondering prophet, remember I told you the first one, he's, he's just wondering. He has a couple of questions. He says, how long is this going on? How long must we see all this? And he lists this, if we, if we go in the first chapter of Habakkuk, he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, and there's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When we look at Habakkuk, and we look at some of the headlines and news feeds, wherever you get your news, whether it's online or on print, wherever, we're seeing some of the same things. We're seeing mob Violence. We're seeing riots. We're seeing mass shootings. Protesters on both sides of whatever issue. Sometimes they block roads. Sometimes they show up to PTA meetings, and sometimes they go to the Supreme Court's houses, and they they pro, they're just protesters everywhere. We have district attorneys that they don't prosecute. They just kind of. Go away, boys, don't do that anymore. Well, let me see you come back through here and kind of give them the proverbial slap on the wrist and we're done with it. And we wonder, like Habakkuk, well, how long is this gonna go on? Well, Habakkuk was watching this for 15, 20, 30 years. And so he was really wondering, what in the world's going on? It's interesting that the, the prophecy here is a lament, but it's also in a form of a dialogue where Habakkuk lists a complaint and then God responds to him. And so we have the Lord's answer. And if, I, you know, if we paraphrase it, God says, you ain't seen nothing yet, buddy. Just hang on. It's gonna get worse. It's gonna go from bad to worse. 
He says, look at the nations and watch. I'm in verse five, and you'll be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And he goes on to describe them. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. They're their own strength. In verse 11, it says, their own strength is their God. And he even describes them, comparing them to leopards and wolves and vultures. So Habakkuk says, why them? Because wicked Judah is 100 times better than righteous Babylon. Everyone has, we've been watching, we've been seeing what's going on and, and the Assyrians and the Babylon, Babylonians in history were notorious for abusing people. Notorious for that. Captives were inhumanely treated. They were treated worse than animals. You can, you can go back in the, in the history books and read that, it's documented. He says, why them? Why are you silent? It would be like, us getting the word that God is going to use Iraq or Iran or Al-Qaeda or ISIS to come in and teach us a lesson. It's interesting, the word translated in our, in our scriptures as violence, we've heard the word, the Hebrew word is Hamas. I don't know if you've heard that word lately, Hamas. Um, the Palestinian group that wants to irritate Israel whenever they can. But Hamas is the word violence. And so we're seeing this and it sounds like very much like what's going on right now. And in our culture, we have a, we have a, a culture of death. So it seems as people around us are just moving further and further and further away from any sort of common sense treatment of people in any sort of a, a humane way. So as Habakkuk thinks about this and he, he says in verse 12, says, Lord, you, you've appointed them to execute, execute judgment. Oh, rock, you have ordained them. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than himself? And then we move to chapter two. And as, as Habakkuk has voiced his his complaint, he's voiced his lament, he's voiced his concern and just scratching his head before the Lord saying, what in the, what in the world is going on? He says, well, I, I think I'll just kind of see what God's gonna do. Some people have used this to uh, talk about how that Habakkuk probably was the smallest man in the Bible because he says, I'll stand on my watch. That's a pretty small guy. But I don't think that's what they were getting at. He's going to stand back. He's going to look. He's going to wait. Going to go to the tower of a castle or the uh, fortress or walled cities. In this day and time, they had walled cities. And they would rise up and they would go to the towers and they would just watch and wait and see. So Habakkuk moves from wondering and voicing this wonder to God, okay, I don't understand all that's going on. And so I guess I need to wait and see what's going to take place. He says, as God gives him an answer, verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end 
and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. I'm reminded of, of weight training. I've got a couple of guys at my house that do some weight training, but it's not this kind of weight training. That kind of weight training, they're trying to build up some muscles so they can beat old dad, you know, but they're not too far from it, I tell you. I wouldn't want to go against them. But this kind of weight training also has its effect. And in trying to build muscle, you just don't go out here and start out picking up 500 pounds, or at least a normal person wouldn't, unless God has blessed you with massive muscles to start with. But typically, you start small and build your way up. And you start with the 10-pounders, and you go to the 20-pounders, and you go to the, you know, it just incrementally, you go up. You think about it, in our spiritual growth and the process of maturing, Scripture uses a phrase, Paul says, from faith to faith. Faith to faith. As we trust God in the small things, as we ponder what he's doing, as we think about what God has taught us and what's he's showing me, what's he teaching me in his word, and we go, okay, I'm trying to make sense of this, and the Holy Spirit moves and he directs us and our thinking and directs our, our script, brings scripture to mind and moves us into the place of scripture where we can see what God is doing. It's a weight training as spiritual muscle and endurance is built in that process of waiting for God to show us and teach us the trouble. I don't, you probably don't have it, but I want to get out ahead of God a lot of times. Hurry up, God. I'm, I'm ready to go. And whoop, we get out there and where's God? And we wonder why things are falling off around us when we have moved and God has not called for us to move at this point. So God's revelation is going to come at the appointed time, about 15 or so years after this revelation, this vision, this oracle is given to Habakkuk, what we see taking place in 586. Remember, this, this is probably in the, in the 625 to 600 range as we move then into the next century. 586 is when Babylon comes and Jerusalem falls and they are exiled to Babylon. So they had the word, and they, they had had the word through the other prophets as well, Habakkuk sees it coming, and he gives warning, and he's waiting to see what's going on. And in this, in this wait time, as he is watching, he begins to elaborate in this second chapter, and he, what he does is gives us a contrast of two foundations for living. So you have the foundation of the righteous there in, in verse 4. He said, the righteous will live by his faith. That's how God's people, that's how those who are part of the covenant relationship, that's how those who are, are, are directed and called by God, you live by faith. We, we don't watch what's going on around us and gauge God by that. And then you have the other foundation, which is the unrighteous, obviously, and they're operating out of, out of fear. And he goes on in the next few verses. I'm just going to kind of touch base a little bit here. In, in verse 5, he talks about greed. Verse 6, he talks about extortion. Verse 8 is murder. Verse 10 is self-destruction. What's happening is, is, is when he's, he's given us a play-by-play -play that when a, a, a life is based in fear, 
it becomes delusional and irrational and then even begins to move into doing crazy things. The latter part of, of chapter two, he says, what value, in verse 18, what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies for he who makes it trust in his own creation? It says, woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or it's a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver, you know, something that's very beautiful to look at, but it has no breath in it. And then he contrasts that with verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all, all the earth be silent before him. So he contrasts the deluded, irrational thinking that turns to hunks of wood or a rock, or stone, or something, and says, give me some direction here. I, I, need, I, need some, I need some direction. Why aren't you speaking to me? Well, there's no breath. There's no spirit. There's nothing there. But those whose life is based in faithfulness to the Lord Almighty find that direction and find that, 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 that spirit moving and speaking. That what he's doing in, in chapter two here comes, he's, he's uh, reflecting a song that Moses sung over in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I won't, I won't read the whole song, but there's just a couple of verses that gives you the idea uh, of, of what, uh, what Moses is talking about and what Habakkuk is reflecting in this. In uh, Deuteronomy 32 verses 15 to 18, Jeshurun, and that's a code word for Israel. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, he became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. As the nation of Israel, the elect of, of, of God, who looked on Israel and said, today I've become your father, you are my son to the nation of Israel. But Israel has moved away from that relationship. And Habakkuk is reflecting what's happening to his culture, to his society, to the people as they have they've broken the covenant relationship and they have moved outside of that, that realm. And so a true God is encountered in the faithfulness of his word. He is the creator as opposed to that which man has created. The creator is outside of time and space and has given us life. The wood and the stone, they can't create anything. He's the life giver. God is the life giver, not the lifeless one. And Habakkuk just stands on this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. I think it was Warren Wiersbe who made the comment that said that man-made gods are silent, but God-made man is silent before him. You know, you've had those encounters with God and his spirit where often you just stand in awe and you just kind of, oh, you sit there in total amazement at what God has said, what he's done, what he's revealed to you, what he's taught to you 
and what he has provided for you. Often <clears throat> there are needs that we have when we go to the Lord in need and he, he opens those floodgates and he provides those things and we recognize that's the hand of God. That's the provision of God and we just kind of, whoa, sit in awe of what he's doing. So as he wandered in the first chapter and he was waiting in this second chapter as he comes to this this awesome statement of God being in his holy temple. And then he, in essence, moves into singing as he finishes up in this third chapter is a song. He even gives directions uh, on the Shiganoth. And then at the last, uh, verse 19, for the director of music on stringed instruments. Must have been playing a bass or a guitar or something on stringed instruments. But it, it's, I would love to, to hear this song but so he, he moves into a, a, a time of worship there in verse two. He says, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. <clears throat> you know, when we gather for worship and we have opportunity to tell what God has done, we, in essence, are remembering the activity of God in our lives as we give testimony to the fact this is what he's done here. As Miss um, Donna was telling me to go, as the doctors have given the, the medication and stopped the seizures for the grandson, that, that's, a, that's a work of God. That's, a, that's an amazing thing how God has moved and worked, and he provides direction for us. And we, we have occasion to, to recall and rehearse what's going on. So Habakkuk is doing the same thing as he reflects on what God has done through the Exodus, bringing his people through the wilderness and providing them and establishing them as he recalls the various deeds. There's the parting of the sea. There's the provision of the manna. There's the provision of the quail. There's the provision of the land. There's the fact that their shoes did not wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out over 40 years as they were walking through the desert. When's the last time you had a pair of shoes that lasted 40 years? Some of the things we just can't account for are the fact that it's a work of God as he moves there. And he's, he's saying, how about now, God? Renew them in our day. Let's see some of this, what's going on as he thinks about God's deliverance and the rescue and the restoration. So as he is looking at his people and his culture, his society, it's crumbling. The foundations are crumbling. And he is saying, why? What's going on? We need some activity of God. Please come. Renew what you did. Renew it now. Let's see what's going on. What, what happened then? Let's see if we can't see it now. But also, he says, and in your wrath, remember mercy. He's recognizing this is a time of judgment. God's people are not acting like God's people. And when God's people don't act and live like God's people, guess what? Judgment happens. So he's praying that in this time, this is judgment, but please have mercy. You think about, this is not too long a rabbit trail here, but think about the, in the history of Israel, we had the Syrian exile, and then you've got the Babylonian exile. Well, not every single one of those folks were wicked. There were some good folks that got caught up. There were some practicing, believing, faithful folks that got caught up because the whole nation was punished. And throughout scripture, you have something that's called the remnant theology. There are those, the small remnant of God's faithful that are there. And after each of these 
exiles and times of judgment, you have this remnant who, who continues to live, continues to teach the word, and continues to preach the word, and slowly it begins to build back. So Habakkuk plays, he, he prays in wrath, remember mercy, thinking about the fact that there are those who are the faithful, but they're gonna, they're gonna be experiencing the bad things as well. In our time, we, we, we have things that take place, not our fault, but we still have to deal with some of the fallout from what has taken place. So remember mercy, remember what's going on. He, and he, he moves in and toward the latter part of the, of the, the chapter, <clears throat> he said there's, there's some, as, as he's remembering what's going on, he prays and he's reflecting Verse 16, he said, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound and decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. There's some physical things going on there, so the, the dread that takes place and the, the dread of what God is, has revealed to him and is gonna take place affects him physically. You know, when, when you receive bad news sometimes, uh, it, it can affect us physically. Uh, sometimes people will say, you need to be sitting down before I tell you this. What are they saying? Well, it, it could make your knees go weak. You don't want to faint. You don't want to fall out, so sit down. So we know that just a part of our human condition is when we receive certain kinds of news, it, it affects us physically. And he, he talks about the dread because <clears throat> he can see because of God's revelation that, that he gave to him. The Babylonians are coming up. God's using them for punishment. This is not going to be a good time. This is not going to be enjoyable at all. It's something to dread, something to fear naturally, to look for. But even that, he, he helps us with a, an intentional determination. He says, after he hears this in verse 16, he says, yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that's invading us. Even though they are, a, 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 God is using this people to punish us, their day of judgment's coming also. They're not a perfect people. They're not under the covenant relationship that we are, but yet they're gonna be held accountable. Look in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. What's he saying? Well, we, we back up to verse 17. He's, he gives us, a, uh, he says, if the fig tree, though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, those are signs of wealth and prosperity in that agrarian, agrarian culture there. The signs of things are, are looking good. But when those things are taken away, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to intentionally choose to continue to worship and serve and honor and rejoice in my God, even though things around me look so bad, even though things around me are falling apart, even though things don't make sense and the stupidity reigns, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. In spite of all these things, I choose. He says, I will. Three times, I will, I will, I will. He's choosing. He's intentional on it. And then he's giving us the spiritual devotion, verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet 
like the feet of a deer enables me to go on the heights. So anytime I finish up reading a, a scripture, I always want to say, so what? What's, what's the point? Well, he just gave us the whole point right here in verse 19. Jesus said in John 16, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In our world, we, we see criminals turned away. We see, you know, when we start, we can talk about politics, we can talk about power and structure. Well, what he's saying, what Habakkuk is saying, my faith is going to be, my strength comes from the sovereign Lord. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer. In other words, I have stability and security in my relationship with my Lord. It's not in government. It's not in military. It's not in money. It's not in position. It's not in any kind of alliances. God is the source of my strength. And it's a contrast between faith and fear. The physical evidence around us is enough to make anyone fear. When we see the headlines of looming shortages of whatever, gas, food, toilet paper, you know, we have all these doomsday things. It's going to be a shortage. It's going to be a shortage. It's going to be a shortage. And we see prices, inflation, climbing. Things are going nuts. God is not surprised. God is in control. And if anything at all, the message of Habakkuk applies, even though it applied the seventh century BC, the apostle Paul applied it in the first century AD, and we can apply the same truth today. The just will live by faith, not fear. Don't fear. We have to trust God. So if anything, you've heard me say anything this morning, I hope it's an encouraging word because in the face of all that's going on, we have a heavenly father who is more than able to supply any need, any provision, anything that we have need of. And that's the teaching in his word. We have to decide, is that a need or is that a want? We have a lot of wants and sometimes we confuse the needs and the wants. God promises to take care of our needs. He's in charge. No government's in charge. Although it may feel that way, it may look that way, and we may have to struggle with some of this stupidity that's going on, but God's in control. And as we are his and submitted to him and his authority and his lordship, then he's the one directing, he's the one calling the shots. And the same word is to us. The just will live by his faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise in your word. Thank you that you are there and that you do hear and that you do know what is going on and that we can come to you with any need, with any question, even as Habakkuk came. He didn't come accusing, but he came simply declaring and simply questioning. And you are not afraid of our questions you're able to give us every answer and every provision. And we want to praise you and thank you for that. Help us to hear you, to apply the truth of your word, 
that we might honor you with all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. It may be this morning that you need to make some kind of a response, and so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. As uh, we stand and sing together just a, couple of, just a couple of verses, perhaps, of trust and obey. And if you need to come, you come during this time. Let's stand together.